You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey everyone and welcome back to Page to Stage, a conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds. So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm so excited that you're here today. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be oh. here in warm Inwood. <laughs> it's a very warm day. It's 90 degrees. <laughs> So like a couple of our previous guests, we both met you through the Broadway Teachers Workshop. Of course. Where you taught a couple music direction workshops with teachers from all over the world. So we got a little bit of your background there, but for our listeners, what did you do right after high school? What did you originally go to school for? Yeah, I went to Northwestern University, which is in Evanston, Illinois, which is where I grew up. So I stayed like a mile and a half from my parents' house is where the campus is, and that's where I sort of went to school. And I went to school to study, originally it was music education and jazz drum set. I was going to like go the jazz performer route and the music teacher route. And I thought the plan at that time was to be a high school band director. Um, and so I was headed very much toward high school teaching, K-12, music education in Illinois, da 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 and um, my, uh, 
uh, I was always I always had a love of theater. I always had a uh, an excitement about theater. I was like a kid actor when I was growing up and grew up on cast albums. My sister and I in the car with my parents who were both big theater fans. And so what was on. your favorite? Ma- uh, favorites include the original Pippin on on cassette. Of course, on cassette. <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, the Guys and Dolls revival, the '92 Nathan Lane was was a big one in our family. We also um, we were big on uh, on compilations. There was this two disc set, Ultimate Broadway, which we had in our car, which which spanned, which went chronologically and spanned from. Oh, what a beautiful morning! No, it was it was Oklahoma from Oklahoma. It was the title song to Seasons of Love. Oh, I totally had those compilation CDs when I was younger too. Totally, yeah, they're spectacular. And, yeah, just the hits. It's just the hits, and it's so interesting because, of course, now I know like one song from like very obscure, obscure yeah. weird things that like I know one song from Where's Charlie. I know one song from like whatever. But ask <laughs> me the plot of Where's Charlie. I won't be able to tell you. How did we get here? <laughs> Cast albums. Um, so uh, the uh, 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 yeah. So I'm, a, I'm I was a big theater like nerd anyway, and and I had acted a little bit, and so I found myself playing drums in college for a lot of musicals, student musicals, and then some department musicals as a drummer and percussionist, um, and then. That uh, the jazz drum set major sort of turned into a classical percussion major because uh, I was obsessed with that percussion teacher, and we'll probably talk about him later. Um, and uh, then I finished school with this degree in percussion performance and music education. And so the plan was either to apply for teaching jobs to teach high school band or to uh, sort of delve into this theater life of crime and I had done um uh I had by this time done a a bunch of shows at school at Northwestern as a drummer but then as a music director uh, and as an assistant music director and as a music copyist and that sort of thing and like had been involved in that world a lot and had sort of like trial by fired a lot as a music director um and was sort of like making a lot of that up and discovered that I really loved it and so the basic version of it is that I figured that if there was a time in my world to be freelancing for a while, potentially unemployed for a little while, making this up, it had better be when I was younger, was really the whole reason for the choice. And so I sort of chose theater and moved to New York, um, leaving, at least for now, K-12 music education behind. Although I, I still get to experience a lot of that, if, for instance, at the teacher summits and that sort of thing and and working with kids as much as I can but um I believe my teaching certification has now expired so if I want to teach I have to I have to go back that's how old I am um but uh but that's it's good motivation to keep going honestly and I miss I miss teaching I miss the classroom environment quite a lot but I I get a lot of it a lot of I get to scratch that itch quite a lot in my in my satisfies you enough exactly someday I definitely still hope to teach in some formal capacity somewhere someday but for now that's what it is so that was so i moved to new york to sort of make a go of it as a music director uh like eight and a half years ago i stuck around chicago for like a year after finishing college and then came out here and the reason i came to new york is that i had never lived anywhere else i mean i figured it was either going to be new york or chicago uh there are other great theater towns in this country LA and DC and Boston and like there are great great theater cities but for me it was either gonna be the Chicago scene or the New York scene 
And part of it was I had never left Chicago, and part of it was that New York, or Chicago is an amazing theater town. Um, there's a lot of musical theater happening there as well, but my feeling was there wasn't a ton of musical theater happening at the level that I someday wanted to work at, um, which is why I came out here. Um, not to dig the stuff that's happening in Chicago, because the stuff that's happening in Chicago is awesome. But I had never lived here. Are there a lot of new works out in Chicago? There really aren't. Yeah, there's that, a handful. That's why I, yeah. And and you know, Mary, that I like I love to do new work. That's like my what I wake up in the morning thinking about. So like I uh, that was the other reason that I came here is to like want to try out new stuff. And it does happen in Chicago. Happens a lot more with plays than it does with musicals. Um, and so there's a little bit of new work. I'm doing a new show in Chicago next year, which I'm super excited about. But it's it's a lot less of a scene than it is here. To do the new stuff, you have to come here. So I have a question about, so you brought up your band director, band mm-hmm. teacher. Was there, I was going to ask you if there was someone who really inspired you while you were going through school. Yeah. And how they directed you into kind of where you are today, if there, they did. There are so many of them. I, I, I'm, you're going to be so sorry you asked this because we can just like <laughs> nerd out about my teachers for a long time. I mean, like. Having had a teacher background, like, I, I care really deeply about my teachers, and I I very, very purposefully have stolen the best of all of my favorite teachers and, and tried to live up to them a little bit. Um, there's a few, and without boring everyone, uh, the, the sort of hit list has to do with... Um, there, was, there was Dave Fodor, who was my high school band director, who I was fairly certain I wanted to grow up to be in high school. Um, That is to say, he was, you know, uh, conducting all the bands and directing the marching band and doing all the jazz stuff then, and and he was a really big um, inspiration to me. He was also a drummer, which I thought was awesome. Like, a conductor who was a drummer, I didn't know drummers could be conductors, (laughs) and that was really exciting for me. And um, I was also, like, deeply, deeply in love with marching band in high school and in college and today. Um, but um, but uh, for him to be sort of like the guy in charge my first couple weeks in high school and like falling in love with marching band and like what, how collaborative and exciting music can be um, was really exciting for me. I, had, I hadn't gone to public school. I had gone to a tiny little private school until high school. So high school was my first like opportunity at organized music. I never had band or orchestra before that. So the it was a really exciting thing and he was um just such a cheerleader of everybody in the program but uh but I felt especially of me in in encouraging me to get really good at drum set and get really good at mallet percussion get really good at uh thinking about orchestrating and thinking about like as much sort of musical endeavors as I could and he was really trying to encourage me to open my musical brain a little bit. Um, he he was also like a big encourage encourager, whatever, of of um <laughs> of my composing a little bit, which I really don't do anymore, like and I sort of did a little bit in high school, but he really sort of gave me the thumbs up to say, "Yeah, absolutely, write something." And 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 he encouraged me to enter a composition contest which I sort of won and that was really exciting and like he was he was in high school in high school that's awesome yeah whatever it was it was it was no but that's I mean how often I I don't think anything in my town had like a competition for composition it was cool it was run through the Illinois Music Educators Association so like an all statewide um 
composing thing. And there were compositions in many, many different categories for like symphonies and for electronic music and for whatever it might be. And I, I wrote something in like the instrumental jazz category, which, um, which was really fun. And, um, that was some time ago. And, um, (laughs) so he was, he was just a big, uh, like early champion of mine. And, um, there are many, many other teachers that I have stolen from and uh, been really inspired by, and that includes Mike Burrett, who was the percussion teacher at Northwestern, who I who I talked about a second ago, who was what I what I loved about him is that he had this ability to make me really excited about something that I knew he had said many times before in like the most basic of of explanations of things. He would sort of, like, push me aside and say, all right, why don't we go? Here's a radio. This is really exciting. We have, we have the snare drum sticks, and we just get this, like, really energetic thing, and this is sort of, like, where my fast talking comes from, is from him. Um, and he would... Uh, I knew this was a, a, th- a concept he had talked about for decades, and yet I knew that he was really excited to share it again. with me. Exactly, again. Um, and that was really valuable, and he's just, like, this ball of energy who I was really, really inspired by. I had a couple of amazing conducting teachers, Dr. Mallory Thompson at Northwestern and Ryan Nelson at Northwestern, who was also a major mentor in the musical theater realm. Um, And he sort of taught me a lot about what it is to be a music director and what it is to do some new work. And um, one of my dear friends, Travis Cross, taught me a lot about conducting. And, uh, And now I sort of, in a lot of my professional worlds, I think the people I work for now, I consider in many ways mentors of mine as well. David Chase is a major mentor of mine in the professional musical theater world. I've I've learned tomes worth from him and continue to, and I would put Alex Lacamoire in that category. I would put my boss, Kirk Crowley, in that category. I don't know. I've had a lot of teachers. So the community in New York, I remember you saying over the summer that it was a pretty, uh, it's a pretty small community of people in New York that do what you do because once correct me if I'm wrong once you do something well people just want to keep using you over and over again so what did you do to cut your teeth to really get noticed and eventually be brought on to projects yeah just be you bribery I think (laughs) (laughs) what a lesson to our listeners that's right that's right uh it was mostly my sense of humor I think and my humility well, you know really, what? But uh, your energy in the room is something that people want to have over and over again. I'm sure. Yeah, it's that. It's very kind. Yeah. I um I do pride myself a little bit on being the kind of person or trying to be the kind of person that people want to keep around. And I have said many, many times that just like being the kind of person that people want to work with gets to be half of the equation. Um, which is something I truly believe. But but that's not the answer to your question. The answer to your question is um, I what is interesting as about our music director world as you point out is that you know unlike our actor friends who audition for jobs we uh, everything comes to us through word of mouth and through recommendations. Same is true for directors, choreographers, designers, stage managers like um a a lot of us sort of do our thing based on what people hear about us and how people find us and so um i came to new york and uh the first i sort of halfway knew a couple of music directors who had gone to northwestern 
a, like a, a little ways before me, um, like a half a generation and a generation ahead of me, and had a not a full generation. Wow. Okay. Anyway, they had, um, uh, they were both Broadway music directors and they sort of did what I wanted to someday do. And so my, my sort of first steps were to take them to coffee and sort of say, well, I'm here now. What do I do? And who should I meet? And they were very kind to like ask all these things about me and what I wanted to do someday and what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. And what did I want to learn and who did I want to meet? And that sort of, they introduced me to all of these other people who expanded uh, my network a little bit that way. But what did I do? What I did was at first um, a, a lot of music assistant and music intern jobs, um, which is to say sitting in the corner with the music department, staying out of the way, and generally keeping uh, – it's a very, like, managerial gig of, like, making – it's sort of like a stage manager for the music department, basically. Um, and it varies d deeply depending on the project and depending on the music department that you're working with. But – in many cases, it involved being sort of in charge of the updates of the score, um, using the, the, the notation programs, which are usually Finale or Sibelius, to like keep track of what might change in the score as the show would change, um, and making sure that everybody's reading out of the right score with the right dialogue, with the right script pages, whatever it might be. And so it was a very, like, like I say, a stage manager-y kind of thing. And so what that enabled me to do was, A, of all, get really good at those notation programs be of all get a real good of uh, 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 true understanding of how new musicals are made which was really valuable which I had sort of had at Northwestern but not nearly on the on the real world level and see of all just get to meet and observe the pros in their natural habitat Absolutely. and <laughs> exactly and um I I did that kind of job a lot, and I did it on and off for really my first four years in, in New York, um, partially because I was really good at it, and I was valuable to the music directors I was working for and the music teams I was working for in terms of just sort of like understanding the logistics of how cuts get made and how things get replaced and how to make the music department function. And probably um, how quickly those things happen. Definitely. And frequent. <laughs> definitely. Quickly and frequently. Uh, exactly. And um, you learn to sort of anticipate where those problems might be and, and so on. So, uh, and I learned a ton working for those, those, those people. And um, the aforementioned David Chase is one of them. And I, I got to work with Kevin Stites a bunch, which was amazing. And Rob Fisher, which was amazing. And um, all sorts of people that I'm leaving out. Mary Mitchell Campbell was amazing. And um, the... That was uh, uh, what was really awesome about that time as well is that I ended up doing a lot of work out of town. I was uh, doing all sorts of like random regional gigs, both back in Chicago and around the country elsewhere. And what was useful was that I was sort of alternating being the small fish in the big pond, doing the music assistant jobs and like watching the pros work. And then I would sort of try those things out and fail being the big fish in the small pond regionally where I was the music director or like where I was in charge and those things sort of fed each other a little bit that I could learn from the one person learn something out here and apply it back to where I where it's important exactly so it was that was really valuable I think in my first two years in New York I spent a total of one year in town because I kept working out of town so much wow um so that was that and so I kept doing that music assistant job a lot and 
eventually, uh, one of the shows I was uh, working on was the the Broadway, the Broadway musical Chaplin, which uh, opened at the end of 2012, uh, and I was you know, uh, working for free and like learning my way around. And, um, that ended up really paying off because the, the music director had said, listen, as sort of a thank you for your slave labor, um, would you like (laughs) to, um, would you, uh, when the show's open, we'd love for you to, to learn the keyboard book and you could, and you can sub in the orchestra, which to us music people is sort of how we break into the Broadway scene is as a sub, really. Um, that's true for instrumentalists as well as conductors. Is um, it, it might be worth, like, a second on subbing culture in, in Broadway, but we can get to that in a minute. But um, So that's what happened. And so I finished, we, we opened Chaplin, and I started subbing there as a keyboard player, and I, I played it a handful of times, and the show closed in four months. But I got to do it, and it was really exciting, like, first opportunity to play on Broadway as a keyboard player, and... Um, having done that gave me sort of the street cred to be able to try to do it elsewhere. Um, to know that, you know, it's as, it's sort of as simple as, oh, you have played once on Broadway. Great. You at least are familiar with the capabilities of your instrument. Um, it probably gave you like a foot in the door too. Very much so. Yeah. Exactly right. So the, the, um, the, to skip ahead quite a bit, the, the, next opportunity I had to do that was with Kinky Boots. And I had known the Kinky Boots music department um, uh, by working with them in Chicago during their pre-Broadway tryout as, as a music copyist and um, working for my boss, Emily Grishman, who I also learned a lot from. She goes in the teacher category. Um, we'll just get a list from you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's too long. And um, so the, the Kinky Boots guys are awesome, and they're all amazing folks and um and dear friends and uh when they were going to open on broadway i sort of had you know worked up the terror to the nerve to sort of say listen if you happen to need any new keyboard subs um i just did this thing with chaplin and like da 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 and they and they they're they're they were so cool about it and they were like yes of course absolutely we'd love to have you that was really it was really nice of them and so the subbing sort of led to more subbing led to uh, eventually learning to conduct at Kinky Boots as a sub-conductor, um, which was my first time conducting on Broadway, led me to conducting elsewhere. The, the, the folks at Mormon needed a sub and conductor, and they knew I had conducted at Kinky Boots, and so they brought me over to Mormon. And, and so that, it sort of snowballs from there a little bit. Would you have to kind of put yourself out there every single time or at a certain point did it shift and then they were coming to you because they were hearing from somebody else? Yeah, um, that's that's a great question. I think at now that you mention it, at some point it does shift. I don't know where that would have come from, but it actually, gosh, I was really lucky in that I was either recommended for or approached by like a, a lot of great things, and um, I don't think even even Chaplin had come to me because they needed a music assistant. They were sort of uh, late into rehearsals, and they needed a pair of hands. And uh, Howie Joins, who's a Broadway contractor, uh, knew me and and was contracting that show and and recommended me for it. Um, I didn't know. I, they weren't really on my radar. I didn't know they were looking. I didn't, you know, I, I hadn't really hustled that out. Um, Kinky Boots, 
I did a little bit, but I was brought on to Kinky Boots originally through through Emily, my boss. So that was a little bit of a half and half. You know, the the other sort of Broadway subbing experience that I had after that, I mean, Mormon came to me through because they knew me through the Kinky Boots family, and um, and uh, I had met the Mormon folks a little bit, and um, the people that I ended up subbing subbing for on other Broadway shows were close friends and colleagues of mine and people that I had worked with a, a bunch of times on other things. Um, and the Hamilton thing, eventually, we, we can get to that story. That that came to me also through through Emily. Um, and I was a very right place, right time kind of scenario. But I think definitely there was a period where I was sending a lot of the cold emails and sending a lot of the, like, uh, by, you know, I'm Ian, I'm newish in town, and I do this, and da-da-da, and here's my resume, or whatever it is. And I got really lucky that people started calling, and, and sort of, uh, you know, to your point, like, the music director community in town is big, but it's not huge. It's pretty tiny compared to, let's say, the actor community. Um, you know, we Because there are just... There's one like conductor right per, per, for, per musical for right. musical with like 30 people in it right exactly <laughs> so you know i don't by any means pretend to say that we all know each other but i think it probably gets to within one degree of separation in the music director community probably i'd uh, i'd be hard-pressed to think of like any scenario so where at you least wouldn't a have friend s- correct um and so you know, and I find this on the other side of it too. Like, if you're smart and if you're talented and if you're a, a good hang, if you're good to be around, news travels fast about you. And um, I got really lucky that people thought that about me for a while. And so far, I I haven't shown them my true colors. Um, <laughs> I, um, Is there a mask that you're wearing? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I also I would like to point out because we've now sat down with quite a few people who have talked about how they've reached out to other people within their specific field and it's not it's not as daunting as i think some people who are coming out of school would think like it's very like people shouldn't be afraid to reach out to other people in the industry especially if it's someone that they would love that they like look up to or that they hope to be in their position one day and just say hi like i am a person i'm interested in what you're doing i would love to just get coffee with you totally i i say this all the time to to folks is that you know that email can be very scary to write yeah. Um, it can be. And it it feels very um, vulnerable, right, to put yourself out there in that way and to ask for something, even if you don't know what that something is. But as you say, Mary, that, you know, to, to simply say, hi, I'd love to pick your brain, I want to be you when I grow up, is, is pretty much all it needs to be. Um, and it can be a very simple thing. And what I was struck by immediately in my first few months here when I was having those first initial coffees and meetings with people was that I was so surprised by the folks that I was meeting who were very much who I wanted to be when I grew up, who were very much like the pros of of my world, um, were so invested in me and were so interested in like asking me questions and who was I and what what did I want to do and wh- who do I want to know and what what can I help you with they were so giving about that and so generous about them what I realized very quickly is that at one time they were all in my position at a certain point everybody showed up in New York not knowing anybody or knowing a couple people and had that moment of now what and 
there's a very like pay it forward element of that, which I was really pleasantly surprised by. Um, and so what I say to people now, like when I meet sort of younger aspiring music directors is that, um, younger, oh boy, um, is, is that, <laughs> stretch it back, is that, um, is that, uh, you know, that email may be daunting to write, hey, I'm Ian and I'm interested in being a music director and do you have any thoughts or advice or whatever it might be. And um, what I always say is that, you know, the person receiving those emails is very used to receiving them. And that's not meant to say they that it's meant to be daunting or anything. It's just like, it's not an uncommon thing to hear from someone who wants to get some information or some advice or who should I meet or what should I be doing with my last couple years of college and what should I be studying or whatever it might be. Um, I always, always recommend like a, a hello or like a Facebook message. Oh gosh, a Facebook message or an Instagram message or whatever it may be like is we live in a world where people are very accessible and you know don't be weird about it like don't write them once a week but like you know um as long as you're just being a person and being friendly that it's a very very valuable thing how often would you say is an appropriate like time if you're trying to keep in touch with someone i mean yeah i think you're trying to be genuine and yeah i think you feel out what that relationship is a little bit i think you know for me when I meet somebody new who's sort of maybe just out of college or maybe has a, a couple years into the industry or whatever it might be like, or even if they aren't, if they're around town and they uh, we've met and they're subbing around even a lot, like I always appreciate if I don't, if we don't have um, a, a huge relationship outside of having met a couple times, like, I don't know, like twice a year, write me and tell me what you're up to. And like, I don't know, I just closed this show in Saskatchewan and whatever, and I did the arrangements in Cantonese. I don't know. Um, I, whatever it may be. Uh, I, I think you sort of feel that out a little bit. I think I'm always, I try to be pretty clear with folks. I try to anyway with Hamilton about how like I very, it's very rare that um, I'm, I, I can offer like employment to a new person um but just because like our our family sort of is in motion a little bit and you know we from time to time do need new folks but at the usually at the moment we're sort of set but um i always sort of try to say like every once in a while you know what i mean it's not a very good answer no but i mean i think it's it's fair though i mean that's also your opinion i'm sure someone else like i just listened to patrick's episode on Mm. the hamilton podcast where he was like you know, try every six months, and if you know if it's if it's too much, then you'll you'll figure it out. So I think it is what, what you yeah. said exactly of just testing it out, and it depends on each person too. Yeah. So, so uh, you moved on to Hamilton eventually. I did, and yeah. this, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so that and the, the H word and the, and this that's a good segue because it was that kind of email that that sort of uh, that figures into the to this story a little bit, which is. Um, I met Alex Lackamore, who is now my boss, like five years ago. I had known who he is for a long time and been a huge fan of his from Heights and from uh, from Bat Boy and, you know, from his work on Wicked. And, you know, I was a huge nerd for Alex Lackamore and his curly hair. <laughs> and um, uh, I was uh, super, super starstruck. Uh, by him in every way. My sister worked with him first, actually. My sister is a few years younger. She's a comedian in L.A., but at the time she was a musical theater performer. And she did the second national of Bring It On. 
Um, so she knew Alex and knew Andy and Steph Clemens and like and and the whole like Bring It On family long before I did. And um, uh, she I know had told Alex that I existed. I have this brother who's a music director and he wants to be you. And he's like great. And that was kind of the end of it. And um, that was nice of her to give you a little like boost. V- very yeah. nice of her. <laughs> She's the best, my sister. And um, so. Alex, it's the summer of 2014, it's five years ago, and Alex is looking for um, sort of a, a sub-music director or like a basically a rehearsal pianist or like somebody to sort of music direct for him, let's say an assistant or associate music director for a, a, a reading he's doing because um, uh, he can't be there for, for a bunch of days in the middle of it and he needs somebody. And it was my, my boss, Emily Grishman, who's the music copyist on Broadway, who they work together a lot and she and I have worked together a lot and she's always been sort of like the biggest, one of the biggest champions of, of my career. And she recommended me, he called me out of the blue to say, Hey, look, I need this. I need uh, somebody to be sort of an associate or sub music director for me. It's this five day reading. It's this musical doesn't have a title yet, but it's by Ben Pasek and Justin Paul and Ben Platt is the star. And uh, we don't really know what it's going to be, but it's kind of interesting. And the score is really cool. And what are you doing these dates? And I'm like, well, I've heard of those people, and um, that sounds really interesting. And I, of course, would like jump into traffic to work for you. And um, <laughs> so uh, I remember I auditioned for him uh, with a couple of songs from the show. This is, of course, this show ends up later becoming Dear Evan Hansen. And so I played for I played then like a little iPhone voice memo recording for him of Requiem and of Sincerely Me. Um, and sort of sent them his way. And um, to my surprise, he offered me the gig. And uh, that was sort of what set the wheels in motion a little bit. And I, I worked with him on that sort of five days reading of, of Dear Evan Hansen, or what was then untitled. And um, I fell in love with the show, obviously, because it's so beautiful, and the score is awesome, and it's so much fun to play. And cast was awesome and working with Michael Greif was awesome and I was just like in hog heaven and um so that finishes I wrote him as soon as it was over thanks so much for the opportunity had the best time would love to stay involved and best of luck with it and he was so kind about it and so good thanks so much Dear Evan Hansen then announces that it's going to Washington DC short version is I write him again hey listen saw that it's happening in DC, congratulations. And by the way, if you need someone, like I'd love to stay involved with it. And he wrote back right away, thanks so much. I think I'm all set with DC, but we'll definitely let you know if we need somebody else, we'll keep you in mind. Um, Great. Meanwhile, Hamilton opens off Broadway. Uh, Hamilton extends, extends, and now extends the third time and announces its Broadway transfer. And I happened to notice that Hamilton on Broadway was this is a very long story and I'm so sorry. <laughs> we love it. It's great. It's, it's, it's so great. interesting. This 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 episode is going to be five times so as long far. as your other ones, and I uh, deeply apologize. Okay, oh, we're here for it. I happened to notice that Hamilton on Broadway was going to start previews the same week as Dear Evan Hansen at Arena Stage in DC. So I wrote Alex again, and I said, "Listen, um, uh, I know you said you're all set, but." If you happen, to, I noticed you're going to be pretty busy this summer, and if you happen to need another pair of hands in D.C. with your Evan Hansen, let me know. I'm happy to help out. Um, and by the way, like, congrats on the Hamilton stuff. Hope to see it someday. Um, and he wrote back right away, 
once again, same deal, same song, second verse. Thanks so much. I'm all set in DC. Um, uh, but if we if we need more people, I'll definitely keep you in mind in the future. And I'm like, great. Now I've done it. That's it. I'll never see him again. I've asked him twice. He said no thanks twice, and that was it. And like three days later, he wrote me back and said, but uh, actually, we do need somebody at downtown at Hamilton to start immediately. And what are you doing? Are you available? <laughs> um, you know, this is still what this is still six months before the album this is still like long before anyone outside of the theater community knows what it is or knows about it all all i knew was it's lynn miranda's next thing it's this hip-hop musical about the first treasury secretary and like no one can see it because it's been it's been sold out forever that was everything i knew about it and um so just to put a pin in that is that i i can say with total certainty that had I not bothered him about it with that last email about Dear Evan Hansen I would never have come across his brain and maybe he would argue with that and I don't know but like I feel certain that because I had been on his brain recently um, he thought of me for this and um, you know uh, it to the point of staying in touch with folks and like keeping sort of on people's radar and um certainly i didn't write him with the goal of working on hamilton i figured truthfully that i could never touch hamilton with a 10-foot pole um or anything that lynn and alex ever had a part of so so that wasn't at all the goal of my of my writing to him but the 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 right place right time of it all was very true and um so that's an instance where that email really came in handy is a bit of an understatement <laughs> um, so I um, life changing some might life say. changing it truly was it yeah. really was and um I remember receiving that email from him and like having this sort of like weird premonition of like this is a life-changing email and I can sort of tell that now um and so like do we uh, do we want the short version do we, is are we exhausted by this we're, no we're in. okay we're, <laughs> we're done we're in I'm captain every listener has moved on to the daily okay so <laughs> It's water. <laughs> uh, so, um, listen, I love the daily, but that's another story. Okay. So. I also just want to point out before we like tiptoe away from this is the fact that you were smart enough to know and to look at the dates. Yeah. And put those pieces together. I think that's kind of going one more step. Well, sure. I, I appreciate that. I mean, I knew what his role was on both shows he's the music supervisor he's the orchestrator for hamilton he was the conductor and he's gonna be a busy guy and can't be everywhere at once well they're not in the same town yeah (laughs) um, um and i just knew that i had enough familiarity with even an old version of dear evan hansen that i could at least be of some assistance turned out that i was of some assistance in a different way but that was still very valuable so I was brought on because they needed somebody to teach music to the understudies. And Alex knew that I could teach because he had seen me teach in the Dear Evan Hansen workshop. That's a story unto itself if we want it or have time for it. But um, the gig was to basically meet with all of the ensemble members and teach them the understudy music and then play some dance rehearsal. And so I did that for like a month and then the show closed off Broadway. And that was kind of the end of it. 
And then uh, when we were getting ready for rehearsal on Broadway, Alex wrote me again, hey, we start rehearsal June whatever, and are you available to be with us? And I said, yes, of course. And the truth was, like, this whole time I wasn't available. I was, like, juggling 12 other things right. that I had to, like, push to the back burner. Oh, you, make, you make it work. You make it work. <laughs> you do. Um, I was learning how to conduct Mormon at the time, and they were, he and McCarthy was the conductor then, and he knew Alex really well because he had been with Heights forever, and he was like, yes, of course. By all means, focus on the Hamilton thing and come back to us in a moment, and which was incredibly nice of him, um, which he did not have to do. Anyway, so um, I came back on board to play rehearsal when we... Um, Started rehearsal for Broadway, playing some dance rehearsal, teaching more understudy music, teaching the music to the new folks who had been hired for Broadway, and that led me to playing a lot of tech, which led me to eventually subbing as a keyboard player, which led me to subbing as a conductor right after we opened, and then I took over the job I have now, which is the associate music director of the Broadway company, about a year and, let's say, a year and a couple months after opening. So that was coming up on... (laughs) <laughs> three years ago now is when I took over the job because we opened in, in 15 14 lifetimes ago and <laughs> since then you you I'm sure have been very busy right with all the different companies that have been popping up all over the world yeah a little yeah, bit do you have to so does Alex go to all of the companies to open them or do you sub for him in sure. those cases um, uh, I, Alex is somehow capable of being in 43 cities at one time on no sleep um he uh yes the short answer is he goes he goes everywhere and he's super super involved which is amazing um i had a lot of involvement um in the teaching of the other companies earlier on it's sort of no longer my purview a little bit um we've got this this guy mac gallagher now who's the associate music supervisor and he's very much the one in charge of like flying to tulsa to check in on whatever tour might be there or whatever that is but i was uh i did a lot of the teaching in new york of those of those earlier companies while they were still rehearsing here so most of the cast of the second national i taught when they were here i taught some of the chicago folks and so on and um but by and large, I've always viewed that, like, my gig is to stay here and mind the store while, to steal from Patrick Vassell, while, uh, while uh, the Alexes and, and Matts and Kurt, my bosses of the world, sort of go out to do the other things. And one of the things that's starting to take shape now is that Kurt Crowley, who's my boss at the show, he's the music director, um, he had my job originally off Broadway and in the first year of Broadway and when Kurt became the music director and I became the associate and so on. So that's Kurt and he um, is going to be in charge of setting up um, the Germany and Australia productions. Um, Yeah. So, um, which means that like we're starting to think very far in the future now about when we expect him to be in the United States and if not, uh, because it's going to be my gig to sort of run the play while while he's gone so i i do a lot of that but i don't i do very little of the of the travel to the other cities only in a couple of like random scenarios but mostly um mostly my gig here has become just focused on the broadway company i think as our hamilton universe expanded and now we've got five companies in the united states um plus london um it became very clear that, like, those of us who were there at the beginning could no longer be relied on to cover all of the waterfronts. <laughs> um, so, by and large, most of us 
stick to Broadway and we do as best as we can with Broadway and like we pitch in where we can be helpful or to give advice or whatever it might be or every once in a while Kurt or I will teach the show to somebody who has to start rehearsal here before they can go out to a tour they might for instance be still performing in something here in town but they have their days free and we could teach them the show before they ship out to the tour or whatever it might be so we do that sometimes um do the companies still rehearse in new york before they go out yeah okay and so but you don't have any any part of that still not anymore okay um Now I go mostly just to like bother people and take up space <laughs> <laughs> and give your jokes <laughs> and give and give which they're all sick of. Um, but by and large, like I I now generally know a lot of the company now. Whether we met in auditions or whether they come to us from an earlier company of Hamilton or whatever it might be, and um, the creators are still all the same. And so it sort of feels like a family reunion every time we all get together to teach the show again. It's multiple generations now, honestly, honestly <laughs> truly. Um, so yeah, it, it, I that's really my only involvement is really just to like say hello and offer my inhale cigarette words of wisdom or um, <laughs> uh, whatever it might be. But my it's you're you're right in that one of the added things that has happened since Kurt and I took over the jobs we now have, which is you know what three almost three years ago, is that you know we take on other stuff. And um, Kurt and I both keep ourselves super duper busy with as much as we can muster outside of Hamilton and still survive. Part of it is sort of making sure that we're trying to make sure that the show is always covered, that the show is always in good shape, and that that is always still our priority even when we take on other stuff. That's tricky. That's 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 a balancing act. I just want to ask a question about the process of like preparing for whether it's auditions or when you're rehearsing someone new into the company and what that looks like on your end. Uh, still Hamilton specific. It, it could, could be, be any of it, honestly. Yeah, I mean Ham- Hamilton specifically is a bit of a different game because now I know it so well. Like I no longer need to like prepare for a for a Hamilton rehearsal or a Hamilton audition. Like I know more or less what it is supposed to sound like and I know how to make it sound that way and I at least have try to have a vague understanding of what I'm doing um so you know the 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 Hamilton rehearsal prep looks very different than rehearsal prep for for something that's newer to me um but that's all because I did a ton of prep on Hamilton in years one, two, and three, like, yeah. to, to learn my way around it. And it really did take me probably three years before I felt like I really knew my way around Hamilton, and in many ways I still don't feel like I do. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just such a doozy. It's such a beast. And, like, musically, it's it's just a lot. And we learn new things about it constantly, what Kurt are, and I. What are some, like, hidden gems in the score that you don't think listeners can get on a first listen oh gosh how much time do we have i'm sure Um, just oh your favorite there's so many good ones there's so many great ones um i think i think uh i'll give two short answers one is that uh one of the fun parts about it is is lynn's continual way of referencing both his hip-hop language and his theater language um which we keep learning about like i i i had no concept of much of the hip-hop references until I was taught them. Um, And I thought I knew all of the Broadway references. And then it was pretty recently that somebody pointed out to me, it was, I think it might have been Lynn's interview on 
on the other thing too. That I, I don't remember that that uh, that there's a Les Mis quote in your obedient servant. I look back on where I failed, and in every place I checked is from friggin' stars. Yeah. Gosh darn it! Oh um, god! What a puzzle piece! What a puzzle piece! So like we, I we think can... those are so cool. Those little like, oh yeah we callbacks can... to you know that it's so personal to Lynn. I'm sure something like that. Yeah, that he's like I got to put it in my work. Oh deeply. Well because yeah. and there's a whole thing about like Burr and Javert like are very mm. similar and there's yeah. like and oh, Lynn is like yeah. the biggest Les Mis nerd you will ever meet. Um, uh, and so there's there's all sorts of that. And the, the two are very parallel in their like trajectories. So there's that going on. It's very purposeful in that way. And the other has to do with internal rhyme. Like I, I find new rhymes in the show and new internal rhymes in the show constantly. Um, and that's always sort of like a fun puzzle. And um, I think I said this to a student group at, at, at the workshop recently that my favorite of them all is in, is in my shot when it's uh uh it what how does it go a l e x a n d e r we are meant to be a colony that runs independently meanwhile britain keeps shitting on us endlessly essentially they tax us relentlessly then king george turns around and runs a spending spree he ain't never gonna set his descendants free so there will be a revolution in this century enter me he says in parentheses don't be shocked when your history book mentions me i will lay down my life if it sets us free eventually you'll see my ascendancy oh my god that's internal rhyming yeah I, I didn't know what internal rhyming meant. I was like, oh, <laughs> rhyming internally. I don't know. <laughs> it's rhyming, if it is, it's exactly what it is. It's rhyming internally. Wow. But, but it's, that, uh, yeah. you could argue that that's more of like just a rhyme, an extended rhyme more than, but there, but it has to do with the fact that it's, it's not just the end of the line that rhymes. It's right. stuff in between that rhymes yeah. as well. Wow. Okay. So, so what He is, put some thought into it. Yeah. So what's your relationship? <laughs> like 10 years yeah. What's your relationship with a composer when you're working on something like this? I think the relationship with the composer on any piece is sort of super, super important and is probably the most important relationship that you have. I had a, I had a, a teacher once at a sort of a music director seminar that I went to who asked the room, um, who does the music director serve? And all these hands go up and someone says, the director. Someone says, the actors. Someone says, the choreographer. I would say um, the show if I was... The show, I'm sure someone did say that, probably. And no one says, and finally he says, you're all right, but you're not right. The answer is the composer. The music director serves the composer. And, um, and the lyricist. That is probably the most important relationship that you have. When you do new work, and when, you do new, when you're lucky enough to be doing new work, or like a major revival of something, then you're lucky enough to be working with the composer in the room. If you're doing a regional production of something somewhere or if the composer's dead, um, you don't have that advantage. And so you sort of have to like do some guesswork and like and uh, do a lot of homework and to, to your point to do sort of as much sort of prep as you can to sort of learn as much without sitting face to face with the composer and hearing about it from their mouth. Um, and for me, that includes whatever material is available. If there are recordings to hear them all. If there are old versions of scores, to see all of them. If they're, like, the best example I can give is, is Cabaret, which I, uh, I, I had the opportunity to, to do in college as a student and 
you know, there was the original in 66, there was the film in 72, there was the Broadway revival in 87, there was the Broadway revival in 98, I think, the Alan Cumming. Um, and so they all have recordings. What's the differences between them? What versions of the show are out there and what do we like and what can we use and what's licensed and what's available and what's, what's interesting about the way she sings this versus the way she sings it over here or whatever it might be. And to try to like just understand as much of the building blocks of what made the score what it is today. And the way that the score is written versus how the recording may tell you. Very much, yeah. exactly. If if this says this but you hear that, whatever it may be. And so that's all very useful if you don't have the composer to ask or to talk to you about it. If you're working on new work, um, and this points to like what Alex's relationship is with Lynn a little bit, although that relationship is on another planet. Like <laughs> Alex and Lynn don't even need to speak to each other because they just think the same way. It's it's astonishing. Um, they do speak to each other in many ways, but uh, the if you're working with a composer, if you're doing new work, um, it's a very back and forth kind of thing, and I think every composer music director relationship is different. I think because every writer writes differently. And that is both just like artistically in terms of what they write, but also how they write it. There are composers who want, who, who notate every inch of the score and write all of the vocal arrangements and all of the transition music and, and do all of that. And your job is to execute it and ask questions and stuff. But, but by and large is to like take what they wrote and like make it happen. There are also composers who write melodies and that's it melodies and lyrics and sometimes chords and then it's your job the music director to really flesh that out into what the arrangement might be and who what the vocal arrangement's going to be and how long is the intro and what key is it in and is there a dance break and what does the dance break sound like and how do we get from the scene before it into this scene and if we're going to put dialogue in the middle what does the music under the dialogue sound like and and those are both very very different processes that all that both fall under the header of music director and by and large the process falls probably in between those two poles a little bit how soon i'm gonna ask two questions so how soon would or should a music director come on board and then how soon does it actually or usually happen i think it generally tends to happen around the right time um uh that is to say you generally want to have a music director on board when you're going to start working with actors basically because it's my it's sort of my gig to help show an actor what it's going to be and how it's supposed to sound and to sort of translate f between the page and the actor and sort of put those things together a little bit and uh, in its most literal sense to teach the score to them and then shape the score together and it's um and then it's my gig to sort of be the the dialogue between the composer and the director and uh and to sort of help achieve whatever the director's looking for musically whether that's different color of underscoring for this particular scene it's the wrong energy or the key is wrong or whatever it might be or can we have an intro that starts more like this or whatever it might be so then you would be if so if you were having to do the like the music under the dialogue or the transition music or any orchestrations that would happen during rehearsals that wouldn't necessarily 
Or would you be working on that before you would start bringing the actors in? That's a great question. I think a lot of that you discover in a rehearsal room. Um, I mean, to, to, to your question, I feel like the a music director usually comes on board before, uh, in, as far as new work goes, before a first reading. And it's we're, we're doing this reading, and here's what the score is right now. Excuse me. And sometimes that's really fleshed out, or sometimes it's kind of not. And you sort of have to, like, adjust your process to where the score is, or what kind of shape of fleshed out the score is in. Um, and then those decisions get sort of made in the rehearsal room, uh, usually in the reading or in the rehearsal room for the production as we discover, oh, you know what would make this moment better is A, B, C, or D. Um, and sometimes it's my gig to go to the composer and say, hey, we would like this, or have you considered this? And sometimes it's my gig to create it myself. You know, like what's uh, the same is true in a jukebox musical where the composer let's say is, isn't there, you're using the catalog of a songwriter or whatever, and then it's the music director or the arranger, or that might be the same person's job to write a score based on these songs, and the composer isn't there. And so those things very much get figured out, I think, as it happens. And if you do it right, you and the director and the composer, if they're present, and sometimes the choreographer, um, create and figure out as much as you can before rehearsals start. But inevitably, you you learn things as it goes. Yeah. So what is next for you? I, you're still working on Hamilton? Yes. Okay. At the moment, I'm on a bit of a leave of absence from, from Hamilton. I have this hand injury, which is more annoying than anything else. But oh. it's been going on for a long time. And so I'm, I'm off of Hamilton for a little while. I go back to it in the fall. Um... So for now, I'm... Uh, playing the piano too hard. Playing the piano too hard, yeah. truly. Um, my doctors will tell you. That's that's doctors, plural. Wow. Um, the uh, So what's next? I have um, the... Let's see. What what is next? I um I have... Do you, like, what are, like, goals? Like, what, yeah. like, what could you... Like, what do you want to do? So one of the... So... so one of the things we know is next in some form is is um, the Broadway run of Freestyle of Supreme, um, which uh, is Lynn and Tommy and Anthony Benetiales, uh Benetiale? I never know how to say his last name. Goodness, he goes by Two Touch. Um, they it's this uh, it's their hip hop freestyle improv comedy group that's uh, that's been kicking around for a long time. It's been a major major part of their lives that I just sort of started playing with earlier this winter and so there's a Broadway run of that coming up and Kurt's involved with it too and we both don't really know like how much of it we will be doing if any we kind of may be in there for some of it but it's sort of being figured out um so I I love playing with them I love working with them but I'm going uh to do uh some performances of uh Freestyle of Supreme next month at the Kennedy Center so that's going to be really exciting um and then I'm doing the, uh, this show in Chicago next year, which is which is an, a new a new musical, which I'm really excited about with composers I love, and uh, I'm I'm super super interested in them, and I've been big fans of them forever. Can't and tell us the name, right? I, I I can tell you the name. Oh, okay. I can tell you the name sure. of it. <laughs> um, the, 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 this the show, in September. So. The sh- okay, great. <laughs> the show is called The Secret of My Success, um, which is based on a Michael J. Fox movie of the same title from the 80s, which I <clears throat> have not seen, and I need to. Um, uh, the, the 
score is by these guys, Michael Mahler and Alan Schmuckler, who I'm big, big fans of. Um, yes, your your facial recognition. Yes. I know. Yeah, I know Alan. How do I know Alan? Alan's around. He's yeah. he's amazing. I think um, he works with Steve Rosen a lot. They do. Yes, Steve Rosen wrote yeah. the book of this. Oh, he's um, amazing. I uh, love them. In addition to Gordon Greenberg, of course. The, oh, the, that's... The, 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 the one and only. Uh, so I totally is... remember a press release about something that was Michael Fox getting... Mm-hmm. Turned into a musical. Yes, yes of yes. course. And it wouldn't be a page to stage episode without a Gordon. Greenberg. Without a Gordon Greenberg reference. <laughs> Hear that, Gordon? Shh. Um, so, uh, so that's this show. And Mike and Alan write just beautiful, beautiful music. They also went to Northwestern, and they were uh, a handful of years ahead of me. So we never were in school at the same time. But I've been a fan of theirs since I showed up at Northwestern, and their writing is just awesome. Um, and so I'm, I'm super excited about that. And what to the conversation we were having earlier, like I've known them both a long time and I've worked with Alan more than with Mike, but my relationship to them as a music director, we're still sort of like fleshing out a little bit. Like we just did a reading of it a couple weeks ago in Chicago and you know, it's sort of that like early few dates a little bit of like, how does this work and how do we relate to each other? And like, you know, I trust them so, so deeply as composers that, that, um, I feel like my job in many ways is to like suggest when I can and like, and help facilitate and then to stay out of their way and let them just write because they do it so well. So I'm super excited about that. Um, and as far as like the goals for Life. later, I mean, what's so funny is that if you had had 2010 Ian on this podcast, um, when, when he moved here, um, he would have told you that the dream job would be to be the uh, someday the associate music director of a Broadway musical that's groove based and um, like ideally would be written by Lin Manuel Miranda. Um, so <laughs> that's so specific. Yeah. So uh, so uh, that happened. So now I need so now to, you need another I need one. another goal, which is very lucky. And gosh, yeah. pinch me. Um, so I love Hamilton. I have no plans to do anything that isn't Hamilton for a very long time. I am very lucky to be there. And that is due to how much I love the play and how fun it is and how meaningful it is and how hard it is. Um, that's like great to just like keep chasing a good performance, which someday maybe I will have. Um, and uh, the people are awesome. It's an amazing cast, amazing stage management. It's amazing company management. Uh, the orchestra is just fantastic folks. And most specifically, Kurt, my boss, is like, he's um, uh, uh, the greatest of people. And uh, he, we were on the phone this morning and we miss each other deeply and we're having brunch tomorrow. And like, Kurt and I have this awesome relationship, which most uh, music directors and associate music directors, I think, only dream of. And like, it's, um, it certainly happens. And like, but he and I are, are, are very lucky to be really, really close. And, um, you know, we're also very big West Wing fans. And so, you know, we'll, I think if he were here, I, I would expect him to say to me, long as I got a job, you got a job. Understand? Right. <sighs> Tears. Um, so uh, I, I was binge watching West Wing when I was packing up my yeah. former apartment to move up here. So mm-hmm. I, I haven't watched it in a while, but I need to get back. You just reminded me to. I was watching it last week. It's fine. <laughs> so um, 
because I'm in such this lucky scenario that I love, like, I, I keep joking that they'll wheel me out of there on my deathbed, which, which may or may not be true, but I... There will be a time when, like, a new exciting thing will happen, and probably the thing that makes me leave the amazing job I have will be a, a new show coming to Broadway that I've been a part of for a long time and had a big hand in the shaping of and in the creation of as a music director at least and maybe an arranger a little bit and um, ha- that I've been attached to for a long time and that I really care about. I mean, it would have to be something that I care about more than Hamilton, which is a big ask. Um, and, uh, so we will see if that piece ever gets written. Um, do you, do you see yourself or would you consider going to another production of Hamilton? Like another company? Probably not. And, um, the reason I know that is because if it were going to happen, it would have happened with Chicago, where I'm from. And when the Chicago production got announced a few years ago, I knew it was happening and I knew the press release was going to come out on a certain day and I sort of asked myself that morning I said how long until my mother texts me to ask if I'm coming to conduct Hamilton in Chicago it was 20 minutes Um, wow and um uh I thought about it for a long time do I want to pick up stakes go to Chicago do I want to pursue that job not that it was offered to me but like do I am I interested in sort of pursuing pursuing it and I sort of decided that I wasn't because I want to be here I want to do new work I want to continue to like do that and I don't think I will find myself probably not at least not right now in another production of Hamilton what I do want to do is is continue to teach and um probably on some level to teach college in an adjunct way would be awesome someday that would be great got to get that master's degree but like we'll talk about that um (laughs) that's a dream gig you know it's awesome so we ask all of our guests as a final question what was the last great piece of theater that you saw wow and they always say that right after (laughs) yeah um how do you pick one you know what i mean isn't it hard um I always okay. think, when we ask the question, I always think yours what my think, answer. Yours would be, yeah. yeah. Well, what are yours? So I'm stalling for time. Oh, mine was Hades Town. Yeah, it's yeah. really great. Yeah. It's um, really great. Mine isn't on Broadway right now. That's fine. It's called, it's a new musical called Bo, written by Douglas Lyons and Ethan Pachar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher his last name. Pachar, yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw him on the train yesterday. Really? Yes. Oh, it's so funny. I love Ethan Pachar. Go on. Yeah. So I came across a musical a few months ago, um, and then I went down to Bucks County for their Oscar Hammerstein Festival, and they were uh, they were both there, actually, on a, a week-long residency to work on the show. How great. And I just love the music. And I got to learn the story through Douglas when I met him, and yeah. we're going to see it when it goes to um, the Adir- Adirondack Theater Festival in oh, August. Yeah. It's just That's such, amazing. It's such a good story, I think. I'm oh, so I'm excited. Thrilled to hear that. Yeah. That's awesome. I can't wait to tell Ethan that we talked about yeah, it. Yeah, please. Ethan, um Ethan's a guitar player. He subs with us over at, at Hamilton as well as many, many other places. Yeah, Very he's talented dude. Crazy. He's everywhere, I feel like. I've stalled long enough. I think um this is hard, but I think there is one that has stuck with me. Uh, for a really, really long time since I saw it. I've seen a, I, I've been lucky to see a lot of great things recently. Um, 
I I saw six in Chicago the other the other week, which was really cool. Um, Hades Town was also awesome. But I think I think if I'm if I'm, you're forcing me to pick one, it has to be the jungle um, at St. Anne's Warehouse. Someone else said we that were just talking about on that. our podcast. Um, Christy. Christy mentioned the jungle. But we also just talked about it with Marissa. And we just talked about that. <laughs> Marissa. Yeah. I mean, like, without boring your listeners who have now heard about it twice already, it's, um, it was so, uh, deeply affecting and so, um, unbelievably immediate and, uh, spoke just volumes about the world we live in on that day and on this day. And, um... I was just floored by it. Totally floored. I, uh, you know, it was one of those great, great days. I saw it by myself. I, like, went to Brooklyn by myself and just, like, sat there in Brooklyn just, like, weeping my face off. And um, it's, like, one of those days where you have that moment of, uh, boy, when it's at its, when it's really good, what we do can be super, super meaningful to people. Even those of us who've been around it for so long and who are tired and jaded and numb and like, you know, like uh, to be moved in that way by, by a piece of theater was, was remarkable. It was kind of unforgettable and it's in San Francisco now, or maybe it just was, or I don't remember the time. Berkeley. Yeah. I think it was at Berkeley. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Or or San Francisco Uh, current theaters coming up soon. I don't remember. Maybe. I've lost track of the timeline. I knew at one point it was going to San Francisco Mm -hmm. and I wrote all like three people I know in San Francisco. And I was like, run, don't walk. This is deeply important. I missed it here, and I, I do regret not seeing it. But I'm, I'm sure they're going to bring it back in some capacity. You can read it, too. I bought it oh, on Amazon. Cool. Yes. Pro tip. Mm. Um, uh, but I don't know. How much great theater do we get to see? A lot. But we that's, do. That's pro- if you're making me pick one. We're lucky. Yeah. It, uh, it was astonishing. So there you go. Amazing. Well, thank you so, so, so much. Oh this God. has been amazing, honestly. <laughs> thank you both. Thanks for letting me blab about my job. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. I, uh, I, you know. I'm only a little upset that the Britney joke didn't make its way into the interview, but I'll forgive you. <laughs> well, we can do the Britney joke. It's, <laughs> all right, it's, it's all right, not. I, I, I don't. Sure? I don't even know the Britney joke, so I think. I think well, we're the Britney have joke to. isn't that good, but I think I have a video of it. I think I when I was. You definitely do. I, def- yeah. I know you have. I've I'll, seen I'll it. pull it up and I'll post it when your episode comes out. Great. The, the Britney joke is much better in context, it like is. in rehearsal. But oh. I can tell a different joke that I heard yesterday on another podcast. Here we go. What are the two sections in a library in Montana? I don't know. You know a library better than I do. I work at li- a library. <laughs> I don't know. Fishing and non-fishing. <laughs> that was the best way to end this podcast, honestly. <laughs> Thank Just you. for Kurt, who's from Montana. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I hope Kurt's listening. Shout out to Kurt. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Please come on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you for having me, both of you. I've had the best time on this. It's 90 degrees. Have mercy, John. Please. Thank right, you. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye.
Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.